Christmas story. It might not sound like one, since it suspiciously lacks angels, shepherds, magi. There isn't even a baby. And there definitely is not a big city lawyer who has to go back to her small hometown to save her parents' bakery and fall in love with the lumberjack next door. <laughs> no, this does not sound much like a Christmas story to me. Instead of Bethlehem, we are by the Jordan River, far north in the region of Galilee. Instead of loving parents and shepherds serenely kneeling before a newborn baby, we have this strange man, John the Baptizer, standing in a river and shouting about the one who is to come. Instead of swaddling clothes wrapped around a baby, we have John wrapped in fabric made from itchy camel's hair. Instead of a baby nursing at his mother's breast, we have John eating bugs and wild honey. Doesn't sound much like a Christmas story to me. But this is the very beginning of the gospel according to Mark. This is chapter 1. In the gospel according to Mark, there is no census leading Joseph and Mary to Bethlehem on the donkey. No angel appearing to a young woman with the news that she would be pregnant with God's own child. No child at all. And what is really interesting is that this is not just any Christmas story. It is the oldest Christmas story we have. If Christmas is the story of God becoming human, taking on a human life in the person of Jesus of Nazareth, then this is Mark's Christmas story. And the Gospel of Mark is the oldest of all the four Gospels. So, this is the oldest Christmas story of them all. But where are the angels? Where are the sheep? This would not make a great pageant on Christmas Eve. Who wants to put on camel's hair and a leather belt and play John the Baptist? Anybody? Raise your hand. I knew it. And Leo back there raising his hand. To the author of Mark, this story, the story of Jesus' baptism, this is where it all started. This was the moment of the beginning of the good news of the gospel of Jesus' baptism by John in the Jordan River. And this beginning would have sounded more like a war story than anything else to those who heard it. To see this, we need to slow down and look at just the very first sentence here. The beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Why linger on that sentence? It's just an introduction. Nothing interesting there. Just a throwaway line, isn't it? Shouldn't we move on to the action? But there is so much in just this one sentence that Mark is doing. First, the beginning, he says. The beginning of the good news. The word in Greek here for beginning 
is the same word as the one in the Greek translation of the very first sentence of Genesis, which goes like this. In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth. You know that one? It's as if Mark is saying, Behold, just as in that beginning, that very first beginning of all of creation, God is now again beginning, creating, remaking the world. It's meant to wake us up, make us sit up straighter and say, What new world is God creating now? What new thing is coming into the world that is of the same magnitude of the beginning of the entire created order? So that's the first key. And then, Mark uses this word, good news. Anybody know what another word is for good news? Gospel. Gospel means good news. And when you hear the word gospel, I'm guessing you think of Jesus or parts of the New Testament. But Mark did not make that word up. He stole it. He co-opted it from the language of war. The word gospel was used in this time in the context of military triumph. As in a messenger would return from the battlefield to announce the good news, the gospel of victory to the leaders of the army. Good news. Our enemies have been defeated. Our cause is triumphant. Through violence and domination, we have won. Good news. And in fact, not long before the birth of Jesus, an official imperial announcement was set out, sent out that called Caesar Augustus the Son of God. And called his birth, his birthday, a beginning of good news, gospel for the world. Now do you hear this opening of Mark's story a bit differently? The beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Do you hear the protest written right into that very first sentence? Can you now hear the resistance, the defiance, in calling a peasant child born to unwed parents the Son of God? Mark is saying, not the emperor, not the king born in a palace, but this humble peasant, he is the good news. And we know that this upending of violence will go on to characterize Jesus' ministry. We know that he will one day ride into the city of Jerusalem, not on a war, a war horse and chariot, but on a nursing female donkey. And we know that he will not assemble an army, trained soldiers, but a misfit group of outsiders trained to be preachers and healers. You see, Mark has co-opted the terms of war and empire and applied them to Jesus. The birth of the emperor is not the beginning of God's good news for the world, Mark says. 
The baptism of this rabbi from a backwater town is the beginning, a whole new beginning of good news for the whole world. Because for Mark, Christmas is a war story told for the sake of God's peace. This account of the gospel, according to Mark, was written by and for a community of believers who were themselves in the midst of war. The author writes either during or shortly after a Jewish rebellion against the empire, which the empire viciously stamped out. And here we are, reading it thousands of years later, in the midst of a war-torn world. In the midst of war and violence in the very place where this Jesus of Nazareth lived. In the midst of a world where if Jesus was born now, he would be one of the children we see on the news. This story from scripture is a story about people in the middle of oppression. And it is connected to what we are watching unfold every day. And for them, this community, for them the gospel, the good news, is the laying down of weapons. The gospel today is the voices of those calling for peace. This same gospel of peace can be heard from those calling for ceasefire today, can be heard in the voices of the prophets, reminding us that it doesn't have to be this way. The prophets are still speaking today. Can you hear them? The journalists in Gaza, the doctors who stay to tend to the wounded. This is the hope and the peace that we long for when we light those Advent candles. You see, good news to the empire is not good news to the oppressed. God's good news is bad news for people in power. In this very first sentence of the Gospel according to Mark, the author is taking a dig at Caesar, calling out the hypocrisy of an empire that promises peace, but achieves it through violence and oppression. You know, Mr. Mr. Rogers famously said that in the midst of suffering, we should look for the helpers. The message of Advent is that in the midst of war, we ought to look for the prophets. This talk of empire, of choosing to serve empire over the service of God, is an Advent discussion. Just this last Wednesday, in our Rebel Women Bible study, someone asked, do we really believe in the second coming of Christ? A great question. Is it really an important part of our beliefs, this apocalyptic waiting for Christ to come again? Well, when we think of Advent, we ought to think of peace true peace, and notice how far away we are from it. We ought to work for justice in big and small ways. Yes, even dedicate our lives to nonviolence and compassion. But how do we keep doing that work when the evidence all 
empire wins. We do it by holding on to the promise of Advent, the promise that God has come and will come again, the promise that weapons will be beaten into plowshares, and God will wipe away every tear from the eyes of the suffering. The second coming of Christ is our promise. As Heather preached two weeks ago, this is our promise. All empires fall. In the eternal reign of Christ, empire is feeble. It is a mere illusion perpetuated by violence and injustice. And so this oldest Christmas story that we have is a story of choosing the compassion of God over the violence of empire. And that is why this story is just as relevant today now as it was that day when John the Baptizer stood in those cold waters of the Jordan River with the prophet Jesus, whose very life sang the song of love.